Welcome to That Anthro Podcast, the podcast dedicated to anthropology. Together, each week, we will be learning from the experts and researchers that are researching our pasts and today's problems. My name is Gabriella Campbell, and I'll be interviewing a new guest each week to bring to you the latest and greatest in anthropology, based right here out of Santa Barbara. Join me for weekly episodes, whether you're an anthropology buff or looking to learn something new. Welcome to That Anthro Podcast. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to a very special episode of That Anthro Podcast. We're going to do things a little differently today. I've done some research into islands, and I'm here to share that with you all today. So as always, thank you for tuning in and for listening to my podcast. It means the world to me. Now today, we're going to talk about the Channel Islands off the coast of Santa Barbara and Los Angeles. I've always felt drawn to islands, and I've even visited quite a few, such as the United Kingdom, Japan, Menorca, which is off the coast of Spain, the San Juan Islands off of the coast of Washington State in the United States, Santorini off the coast of Greece, two of the Hawaiian Islands, Kauai and Hawaii, and the Channel Islands off the coast of Santa Barbara. To introduce you, that those of you that don't know, the northern Channel Islands include the Santa Cruz, Santa Rosa, Anacapa, and San Miguel Islands that are visible from the coast of Santa Barbara. The southern islands that are visible from the coast of Los Angeles include Santa Barbara Island, Santa Catalina Island, San Nicolas Island, and San Clemente Island. And for a fun fact, um, all of those island names have actually uh, been adopted as all of the names of all the dorms at UCSB. Uh, so my freshman year, I lived in the Santa Rosa dorm. But don't worry, you'll learn more actually about Santa Rosa. Islands make us feel small. They make us feel isolated. Yet they also feel magical. But why? 
and particularly what makes the Channel Islands so unique, and especially in the sense of archaeology. I wanted to talk about this because this month I spent my birthday on Santa Catalina Island, which is off the coast of LA. My best friend and I took the ferry from San Pedro and spent two glorious days there at one of the most beautiful places on earth, Avalon, on Santa Catalina Island. And while I suppose this episode could come off as me simply promoting Catalina Island, in reality, I would just like to share some of my experiences with you, and I wanted to do some research on the islands myself. That's the beauty of the podcast, Mutual Learning and Discoveries. I do want to clarify that the facts that I am going to tell you today are not coming from an expert on the Channel Islands. I've done some Googling and some research, and I tried to only look at reliable sources, but it will never compare to the comprehensive reading and researching that is done by scholars that work on the Channel Islands. Scholars are trying hard to document more sites, collect more data, and I look forward to the new wave of information that will emerge from all of that. So with everything I say today, take it with a grain of salt and make sure you always do your own research if anything I say today piques your interest. So here are some facts about the islands. Together, the North and South Channel Islands comprise 346 square miles or 900 square kilometers. Catalina Island is the only one with significant permanent residences at the cities of Avalon, where I visited, and Two Harbors, which is on the other side of the Avalon, which is on the other side of the island. Though Avalon is far more populated and is the main tourist attraction, Two Harbors does have a lot of camps and um, educational outreach programs. In Avalon, there are around a dozen hotels and a lot of tourist attractions like beach clubs, zip lining, snorkeling tours, rental kayaks, glass bottom boat tours, and restaurants and shops that line the beach. It was estimated by the 2020 census that 4,000 people lived on this little island. Catalina is only 22 miles long and 8 miles wide at the widest point and is approximately 27 miles off the coast from L.A. There are ferries from San Pedro, Long Beach, and Newport Beach that take you to the harbors of Cat- of Avalon and Little Harbors, sorry, excuse me, two harbors, and each take about an hour and 30 minutes. Now, while you can stay in a hotel on Catalina Island, you cannot stay on the, the Northern Channel Islands of Anacapa, Santa Rosa, Santa Cruz, and I'm forgetting one. <laughs> you can only camp there. Uh, it's not developed. There aren't restaurants. It's not a tourist attraction. You can go and you can camp and you can do like eco tours and stuff, but it is not developed in the way that Catalina Island is. And in fact, there are only two reported long-term residents from the 2020 census. Now, geologists have mapped the Pacific and North American tectonic plate movements, and I watched some very detailed videos on the formation of the islands, but to give you the snippet, the short version, um, the islands used to be attached to the large landmass that is California until about a million years ago when they broke off. Now, during the last ice age, the Northern Channel Islands were actually one landmass called Santa Rosé before the sea levels then dropped and left four islands separate. 
Now, one of the most fascinating archaeological discoveries that we've actually already talked about on this podcast was in 1959, when part of a skeleton that was later called Arlington Springs Man was recovered on the northern channel island of Santa Rosa and assumed to be from the late Pleistocene. However, about 20 years later, as dating methods improved, it was discovered and retested by John Johnson and colleagues at the Santa Barbara Natural History Museum that the Arlington Springs Man was actually 13,000 years old, making it the oldest skeletal remains in North America at that time. Arlington Man would have lived when the Northern Channel Islands were one landmass of Santa Rosa. He was recovered in levels with pygmy mammoth bones and giant deer mouth bones. And if you'd like to hear more about Dr. Johnson's account of the story and discovering Arlington Springs Man, you could check out his episode in season one where we talk more in depth about it. Now, what's so significant about finding the oldest human remains on the Channel Islands? Well, Arlington Springs Man is significant for more than just his age. He proved definitively that the Clovis culture was not the first group to colonize North America via the land bridge hypothesis, and rather that people were actually using watercraft to migrate from Asia along the coasts of North America, from Alaska, Canada, and then all the way down to South America. This is called the kelp, kelp migration hypothesis because it relies on the assumption that these peoples must have subsisted off of marine resources and kelp forests along the way. Again, I am not an expert in this field, but I am telling you right now that the research being done on the Channel Islands is integral into understanding uh, the migration and colonization of North America by people. And what I mentioned earlier about the Clovis culture isn't to discourage that research. People definitely migrated via the land bridge, and it's incredible the amount of research that's been documented on the Clovis culture. But it's also fascinating to um, explore the idea that there were multiple migrations into the Americas and multiple cultures that colonized it. One of the best things about the Channel Islands is that they are protected both on land and sea. Each have a six-mile radiating uh, marine sanctuary so that indigenous flora and fauna can live both on land and underwater. Particularly, most of Catalina Island is a nature preserve, and while you can take backcountry tours, it's very isolated and not packed with tourists. In fact, I was very happily surprised when I was on Catalina how open most of the island is for being as long of an island as I mentioned. There's only about, Avalon is maybe, I would say, at most a mile long, and then probably about um, a half mile in from the beach. It's very small, and there aren't a lot of roads. Most people use golf carts. It's not a highly developed island. Now, my favorite animal is the Channel Island Fox. Now, the Channel Island Fox is a small fox that weighs about six pounds and is about the size of a large cat. It's brush colored with accents of red and is found nowhere else in the world but six of the eight islands. And while sadly I've never seen one in the wild, it's probably better that way. Uh, these foxes have no natural predators and therefore they roam the islands all the time and not just exclusively at night like other foxes that may be hunting for food. Uh, some research puts these foxes on the northern island as early as 16,000 years ago, meaning that they lived concurrently with humans. But the only documented archaeological remains do date to 6,000. 
Now, the Chumash, which are an indigenous tribe to Santa Barbara and the Channel Islands, believed that the foxes were sacred, pets of the sun, and dream keepers. The other creature that I loved seeing when I visited the island was the Garibaldi fish. This fish is bright orange, and it's about 12 to 14 inches long, and is the state fish of California. Since the water around Catalina and the other islands are protected, from the moment you get off the ferry, you can see the fish swimming below the surface. This is not only because they are bright orange, but it is also because Catalina has very calm water that results from a lack of natural beaches, and when there is a beach, the water goes from shallow to deep kelp forests rapidly. The water is so calm and crystal clear that you can see the bottom almost every day of the year. And while researching this episode, I discovered that the Garibaldi fish are actually related to the clownfish. For my research of the inhabitants of Catalina, it became clear that while the Chumash traded with the inhabitants of Catalina Island and the Chumash inhabited the Northern Channel Islands, Catalina was inhabited by the Gabrielina Tongova tribe, which referred to the island as Pimu and themselves as Pimuguans. Archaeological evidence suggests that this tribe has been here since at least 9,000 years ago, and personally, I feel like only more evidence will arise over the years to show how important the, the Channel Islands were in North American colonization, as I mentioned earlier. The Tongavo tribe were apparently great craftsmen of soapstone, a naturally occurring resource that was abundant on the island. Archaeologists have determined from evidence of middens that uh, evidence suggests at one time thousands could have been living on Catalina Island alone. Some artifacts have documented, um, some archaeological artifacts that have been documented on the island show the intensification of marine resources, including innovations like bone owls, net weights, fish vertebrae beads, manos and metates, fish hooks, shell scoops, and sedai effigies of marine animals. During my research, I came across the Pimu Catalina Island Archaeological Project, which runs out of UCLA. It was created in 2007 by Desiree Martinez, Cindy Alvertre, Wendy Teeter, and Karama Kennedy Richardson to utilize the best scientific and indigenous knowledges and practices to better the understanding and history of this amazing island and the people that have lived there for over 8,000 years. This project includes a field school where students are trained, but the most impressive thing about this particular archaeology project is that it works directly with the Tongova tribe to represent Tongova history in a way that honors them and educates the public about the history of the island and tribe from an indigenous perspective. Students that attend this field school hear lectures and learn about the archaeology directly from surviving Tongova community members, and the entire intention of the project is to be a community and indigenous-run project. I was deeply, deeply, deeply happy to hear about this project, and I think it's a great field school if anyone's interested. Um, I think it's a really cool project that I hope will only continue to grow. I think Indigenous-run archaeology projects are really the best thing that we can be doing. Well, podcast listeners, that was my brief summary of some facts about the Channel Islands. I hope you enjoyed. Maybe learned something. Maybe your interest was piqued. Maybe now you want to go visit the Channel Islands. I'd highly recommend it. They're truly magical. And... I want to know more about human connections to islands. 
I think it's really fascinating how deeply we feel connected to islands and how we want to go to islands. If you think about it, it's just this little rock that's floating in water and was created by tectonic forces, but yet we're so drawn to them. So I hope you all enjoyed, and I'm sorry that this was a shorter episode, but there aren't necessarily 30 minutes worth of facts for me to tell you about the islands. And I really felt like after my trip to Catalina, I wanted to learn and share a little bit more about the history of the islands. So thank you for listening. Have a great week.